This episode is brought to you by Shapeshift.io, the easiest, fastest, and most secure way to swap your digital assets. Don't run the risk of leaving your funds on centralized exchange. Visit Shapeshift.io to get started today. Hello, everybody. Today's episode is an interview with Julie Penner, a director at Techstars Boulder, and I actually went through Techstars Boulder in 2015 with a music education company, Edify. And Julie and I, we talk a lot about um, human systems. It's the first real interview that I have on human systems, which are like mental models, lean, things like that. And for those of you who have listened to the show before, I've done a lot of concentration on blockchain. Um, but blockchain and the software systems there and the macro philosophical future systems there they're all systems and so is what julie and i talk about today which are these kind of human systems um and there are kind of two key points that we talk about the first is julie talks about this loop between processes and leaders um where you make processes and those processes kind of determine what the leaders are doing and then the leaders create new processes and i think that this loop that she talks about is very very similar to this tech society loop that i kind of harp on where tech influences society society influences tech and goes back and forth and the thing that i actually loved with what julie said about this process to leader loop is that it builds trust and this is something that's not often talked about but how lean and iteration and those kinds of things it's not just a way to prioritize risk it actually actively builds trust within your organization so that that was fascinating and the other thing we talked about today is around the specific kind of trust this vulnerability based trust um and this is something that is this kind of tension especially within the blockchain community around what's more important vulnerability based trust or um trustlessness and trust i actually did this poll on twitter recently and it was about 70 30 towards trustlessness there were only seven votes but um i think that there is this emphasis on tech and this emphasis on trustlessness um but i i'm, I'm also very convinced by what julie says today around you got to build your company from the inside out and you got to start with this vulnerability-based trust um and you can even expand that to society and say hey it's great that we all in society are pushing this trustlessness infrastructure but we also have to build it from the inside out and start creating these really great relationships with the people around us based in vulnerability-based trust. So with that, hope you enjoyed the episode. Hello, everyone. My name is Reese Lindmark, and you're listening to another episode of Creating a Humanist Blockchain Future. And in this podcast, we take a systems thinking approach to doing good in the world. And so there are a couple different series that focus on different system scopes. And today we're focusing on series B, human systems. So this is where we talk about lean and agile and mental models and communication. And we're essentially asking the question, how can you work, live, and communicate more effectively? And I'm very happy to introduce Julie Pinner to the show today. Julie is a director at Techstars Boulder, which is actually a program that I went through and uh, is reading 100 books this year. So, Julie, thanks for being on the show and welcome. Thanks, Reese. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to chat. Um, <laughs> so, um, and Julie and I have been going back and forth with various book recommendations, and we just thought it made sense to kind of hop on the show. Um, and I think that, you know, to start off, before we dive into some of these specific things and specific frameworks that Julie's thinking about, first, Julie, kind of, why are you reading 100 books this year? What, what made you do that? And kind of what books are you looking to read? I, I was thinking about the why here for me, because I don't think I have a clear moment when it came to me, other than I was experiencing a lot of people that I respected in the business community and the entrepreneurial community who have 
read very deeply and widely. And I felt very behind, right? Like, wow, I haven't read a lot of these books that people reference. I thought, well, I wonder if there's a way to catch up. And then in, in typical, uh, my strength finder profile is input, right? That was a book I read this year. Um, but in typical input style, I wanted more, the more the merrier. So I set kind of an audacious goal and a hundred seemed like, I don't know, an audacious, an audacious number, like a hundred seems kind of lofty. So if I miss that goal and I read 80, then I'll have had an incredible year and it seems like I can't miss. So I, I guess that's how I came up with, I know I wish, I wish there was a better story to it, but well, actually um, that that's very aligned with why I started, I read a book a week. So only, only 52 books a year. Um, but it's, it's a very similar vibe where it's like, Hey, you kind of look at a lot of these people that you respect in the world. And you're like, wow, they're reading a lot. <laughs> and I'm kind of, you know, and you kind of want to be there with them so that you have this great lattice of mental models and frameworks to kind of approach the world and address the world. So I think it's a similar kind of reasoning. How do you though, Julie, how do you bucket, um, the books that you're reading and the learning that you're doing. I love thinking about this bucket level. So how do, how do you kind of bucket them and like categorize them? Yeah, I, I would say that there are, uh, there's some thinking that I've been doing around um, lean and teams and leadership. And those were clear buckets for me at the beginning of the year, because I, I felt like those were topics I wanted to read a lot about leadership. I wanted to read more about teams. I wanted to read more about um, lean. And so I, I made those, those choices very, um, very cognizantly. Um, but there was also a lot of books that ended up in the, on the list that I didn't think I was going to read or didn't easily fit in one of those lists because somebody recommended it. Somebody that I really respect said, you should read this book. And I've found over the year that a lot, not all of those recommendations have been really worthwhile. Um, so some of them don't fit cleanly in that bucket or any of those buckets. And that's okay. They've been, I think you need a lot of variety. I am pretty strictly nonfiction. And, um, you know, I've also gotten a lot of upside out of learning how to read a lot of books. It's a skill, I think. And it's one that I'll carry forward even after the year ends. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I feel like the, I've had a similar trajectory where you have these initial buckets in your mind that get you going. And then as you dive deeper with those, they kind of expand into the sub buckets and other people are recommending things to you that you're like, oh, this isn't quite a team book or a leadership book, but <laughs> I want to read it anyway. So I'm going to do it. <laughs> um, so thinking about, so kind of diving then into um, so you're reading all these books and we're in at a, at a high level we're thinking here and in, in, in the work that Julie does is essentially helping kind of startup founders, um, you know, make great businesses and make great teams to make great businesses. Um, so Julie and I were talking before the show a little bit about, a little bit about this triangle that she's thinking about um, that kind of she is a way to gr create great teams. Um, so, so Julie, could you talk more about this triangle that you're, you're envisioning? Yeah, I think one of the things that we have seen or in, in my reading and I've seen it play out in the programs with startups is they need a couple of ingredients or, or they're, they're the teams that move really quickly or the ones that you love working with or you see that are successful. They have a couple of things in common. One is they they adapt uh, adopt some of the process, right? The, the lean, whatever makes at whatever level makes sense for them, for the size of company they are, they put some process in place. They put in retros, they put in standups, they put in some strategy and they get smarter about how to do that. And it grows, it, it becomes part of their foundation and it grows with them as they grow their business. Mm -hmm. So that was one thing, but, but how, how, 
Like why did they choose to do that is another level deeper, I think. Um, and started getting into, you know, leadership and the, the, you know, if the leader doesn't buy into lean, it's not going to work. So it seemed like an important part of the puzzle to understand. Um, and, and then it got more interesting as I started kind of reading about leaders and, and collaborative leaders and then leaders who are secure or not secure, like if they're anxious or they're, um, avoidant, right. Um, kinds of leaders, how does that impact their ability to create a safe space for their company to have uh, a ton of creativity and to have their teams flourish and make the best decisions. Right. And, and so how does that then relate back to lean, right? Where the team is really adopting the best way to work together. Right. So they, they all seem very interconnected. Um, and, and when one, like figuring out a piece of making one better made the other two pieces better as well. And that's just an idea that I, I, I'm, keep thinking about, right? Like how lean, um, the process builds trust, but, but leaders also build trust mm -hmm. and trust help team flourish, teams flourish. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so what are the things like that, that can help, how um, make, make, bring lean to companies, but also, you know, create better leaders because they can both make better teams. Got it. So is it, when you think about that triangle, one side of it is kind of the process level, you know, lean level, prioritization, minimization of risk kind of stuff. And then the other side is the kind of the human level, the leader level, the, the secure um, leader level. Is the third part of that triangle kind of the output there, which is the high performing team? Or how do you, is that, is that the correct triangle that you're talking about? Yeah, I, you know, I'm not sure I know. I feel like it's an idea that I'm still playing with. Um, like I, can, I feel like I can tell stories. I'm, I'm in the level of thinking that I'm at. I can tell stories about um, why one works or what it looks like when it's right mm -hmm. or when it's going poorly. But I, I can't tell you more about how the model works, like ins and, and outs. What I know, like great companies have this cycle figured out just like in lean, you know, we do plan, do check adjust, right? They have great teams who, who are operating and are great learning organizations have figured out that plan, do check adjust cycle. I think teams that, uh, are healthy and learning organizations and where people are thriving, right. Which is sort of different. Like lean doesn't suppose, doesn't, uh, you know, assume that the people who are in the company are thriving and developing as part of being in that company. Mm. I think it, it could, but it feels like the next level of lean. And that, I think that's what I'm talking about, right? Got it. Got it. Yeah. And I think I like to kind of, when I'm, what I'm hearing you saying is kind of mapping that onto the, the process level and then the human level kind of, that you could have the process level without the human level and you could have the human level without the process level, but they kind of, there's a nice system loop between them where if you have the good processes, it's likely to make good trust. And if you have the good trust, the human level, that's likely to make better processes. Um, yeah. So I, 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 I hear what you're saying there for sure. And I think the other thing that I liked hearing what you said, and this is kind of a thing, <laughs> as one dives deeper into these various mental model books um, and learns about the various best practices, and as we stand on the shoulder of giants, you can kind of hear in other people's words um, the kind of frameworks that they're using. So there are kind of two that you use there uh, that I just want to point out. The first is 
you were talking about secure or insecure leaders, and I'm reminded of the secure and insecure attachment. And then you 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 know briefly mentioned, hey, within insecure attachment, there are anxious uh, insecure attachers, and then there are avoidant insecure attachers. Um, is that is that were you referencing that kind of attachment um, mechanism? There is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm referencing you know very a little hesitantly because it's not my um, primary field by any stretch, but. Um, yeah, I think attachment style does matter when you look at leaders and what, um, how they primarily relate to people in their, their closest circle. And we, we've seen it play out at the founder level many times. Um, and being aware of your attachment style as a founder uh, and then addressing, you know, then, then I can be aware of my co-founders' attachment style or styles. And then I can be aware of how those interactions are affecting my company from the inside out, right? How are they affecting our team? How are they affecting our, our like I, like you said, our process, right? Mm -hmm. That kind of awareness, um, yeah, of attachment style, I think can be very, very powerful. Yep. Um, and, and something that honestly most, you know, uh, most founders that we talk to when they come into the program have never thought about. Yep. Yep, exactly. Uh, yeah, there's, and we're going to dive into a little bit deeper on that in a second, this kind of trust and emotions and those kind of things. But before we do that, I want to, I want to actually take a step back and talk about, you mentioned there this plan, do, check cycle. And I think that's part of um, these kind of mental models in general, which is, there's a bunch of these different like iterative mental models. There's the plan, do, check one. There's the build, measure, learn cycle from lean. Uh, for you, Julie, which kinds of cycles and kind of iterative cycles and systems are you, do you think about uh, in addition to plan, do, check or build, measure, learn? Oh, um, you know, the one that came up to my, I'm sure there are others, but the one that, that popped right into my brain was the weekly or like the temporal cycle, mm. like the daily, weekly, monthly, mm. uh, quarterly, annual, because they're just, um, I think about it in in a company perspective, right? That that consistency that can be a, a level of security that you add to your team by doing a daily stand-up, a weekly retro, a monthly planning, a quarterly offsite, right? And I can rely upon that and how that builds security for me um, as an employee, right? Mm -hmm. I, so I think about those kinds of cadences and then just on like a human level in our lives, right? We have things like holidays that mark years and we, you know, we close and open days, we close and open weeks in, with ceremony. And I think that when you said uh, what kind of other iteration or other cycles, I, I think about those a lot. Um, I, th I think they're so human to, um, to have the repeatability, even if it's slightly different this time, that there is some percentage of what's going to happen next be predictable. Yeah. Right. And, and actually I'll, I'll take it one step further, which is, um, in a highly uncertain ecosystem or environment like a startup, mm. right. Where, where, um, unpredictability is a threat the same way a physical threat would be yep. right so they've done they've done this research right that that um threats to your emotional and psychological well-being are um you feel them in the same way in your body as physical threats right yep. like a lion chasing you right um so think about the amount of unpredictability in a startup 
right? And you really can't control what's going to happen in the company. And that's a ton of stress emotionally, physically, psychologically on your body. But the process, the lean process of having a predictable schedule of check-ins, retros, planning, checkouts, whatever it is, right? I think adds to your security Mm -hmm. in a company. Um, So you can't control the outcome, but you can control the process. And that's how you get that's how you feel safe in a, in a wildly erratic situation. So I don't know if I answered your question about no, uh, you did. loops. You did. I think, I think that, I mean, so two quick things. One on the note that you just said there, which is you can't control the outcome, but you can control the process. That's one of my favorite things to do when you're in a time of stress, which is to say, hey, what can you, to bucket things into those two buckets, what can you control and what can't you control? Um, and then once you do that, it's just like, oh, whew, I can't control all these things that I was worrying about. Don't worry about them, <laughs> you know? Um, so really concentrate on that process. Uh, so I think you did answer my question. What I'm hearing is, and we've kind of talked about three different system level loops thus far. The first is kind of the systems thinking between the human level and the process level or between like lean stuff and kind of communication, emotional things. Then we talked about kind of these iteration cycles with plan, do, check, build, measure, learn. And then what you just answered with there was the kind of like time-based cadence and consistency cycles where you're just Mm -hmm. saying, hey, you know, you got to do something. What do you do every day? What do you do every week? You know, what do you do every quarter? That kind of stuff. Um, so yes, I think you you answered my question as I <laughs> there was no right answer and and you gave some kind of a system. So I count, I check it off the box is correct. Um, let's go. Let's kind of transition away from kind of the systems thinking, which I do do love doing. Um, but going deeper into what you were talking about with um, we're talking about insecure and secure attachment and how a lot of founders come in not thinking about that side of things. And Julie and I actually wanted to talk about this book called in everyone culture. Um, and, and Julie, I think it's had, it's definitely had a huge impact on my life. And it sounds like it's had a big impact on kind of your life and your mental model. So Julie, could you kind of give us an overview of what that book is about and why it was so um, impactful for you? Yeah, I'll do my best. And I'm curious, I'm curious for yours too, because it's been a few months since I've read it. Um, it was funny, when right when I was reading the book, I was giving a talk on uh, a talk called doing more of the right things faster, right? It's adapted from Zach Neese, who's our VP of education. And, and it's a great talk about, you know, getting more of the right things done. Um, and I, I sort of touch on this leadership and teams level at the end um, and a deliberately developmental culture, which I'll come back to. And uh, one of the questions that I got was, are there any companies that are able to do this, right? This is sort of like, yeah, that sounds great, but nobody actually does all Mm. this, right? This feels like some pie in the sky, unobtainable. Um, Can you give me an example of a company that can actually pull this off, right? Sort of the the tone. And I I didn't have a, I said I have a couple of examples of companies that you wouldn't necessarily know because they're small, they've been through my program, they're still startups. Um, uh, But I I didn't have a great answer at the time. But in reading In Everyone Culture, um, it talks about three companies that um, deliberately develop uh, both at a personal and a professional level, everyone in their company. And the way I see that is it doesn't matter um, who you are or what you're working on. Um, and it doesn't matter what the, who the founder is and what, what their 
background and what things they are working on. Where you come in is where they're going to start working on the personal and professional path for you. Mm. And and by by doing that, they the there's a synonymous uh, there's an equality here, which is the way to grow my company is to grow my people. Mm. And that was the core belief that really stood out to me um, that was similar to all three of these companies. That's not what you hear most companies saying, right? That's not how you hear most companies talk about people. They talk about extraction or they talk about a tour of duty or they talk about, you know, or, or it's nothing, right? It's completely, they're completely unaware of how their, um, their resource that is their human resource. Um, but for these companies, and it gives a lot of very vibrant examples, um, the, the way forward for them as a company is, is through their people by growing their people, they grow their company. Um, and I was like, Oh my God, this is the best explanation I have for, uh, what an intentional founder and with it, with a founding team around her or him, um, would want to build if they could build a company that everybody would want to work at or that every, where every, or where maybe not everybody would want to do that work, but that if you were there, you, you could have a fulfilling, meaningful job where you grew and became a better person because of the work you're doing and because of the people that you're around. Um, and those are the kinds of companies I want to build. I want to help founders build those companies. Mm. And so this was like, it felt, you know, not a keystone exactly, but it felt like unlocking a piece of at least the words to talk about it and a lot of very specific examples about how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I do. Like you say, there's the kind of the big level about the feelings and the vibe. And then, and then in that book, they do give all these specific examples, which are great. Um, the, the book, one of the three companies that they, they cover in the book is Bridgewater, which is this really big, uh, I think it would be called a hedge fund. I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and in that culture, they have some really intense things that are like, Anybody can essentially be as honest with anybody else in the company as they want, where they say, hey, I think you did a really bad job or whatever. Then you can say that to the founder, you know, and and, and, and he actually kind of encourages it in some ways. Um, I think about the – when I think about the way to grow the company is to grow your people piece. In the book, they talk about um, – Kind of the key, the key concept there being uh, frankness, essentially. Like, how frank are you within your company? Um, you know, from like one to ten, how frank are you on matters of importance? And if you're like a three, that means there's all the stuff that you should be saying but aren't. Um, and mm-hmm. that's for them what they kind of emphasize is like think about all those times where you're not saying things, all these processes that aren't changing, all these kind of feedback that's not happening, all the growth that's not happening. And if you don't have all that happening then yeah of course you're you might think that by focusing on the people and focusing on learning focusing on growth that you're actually not it's not connected to business outcomes but in fact when you think from the business outcomes perspective a key input to that is all the feedback and all the growth or whatever um so i think it's from this kind of compounding returns perspective uh, is, is how i think about it yeah I, I think you're can you're you're square on right and we've seen other um authors that are tackling this um this idea of frankness, right? The, the one that comes to mind the most is radical candor. Yep. Um, you know, she talks about, um, I think it's Kim Scott talks about the, the importance of, of having candor. And, um, you know, she calls, uh, 
uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll talk about this for a second. The, the thing that blew me away about the organizations in uh, in everyone culture, and I think it's really important to, to know, is that it's not people are frank, but it's it, it's it's for the right reasons, right? It's so that I I will be honest with you about the thing that I think you can do better because I want you to be better, mm-hmm. and that's the piece that that if you and um, I'll use another author. Um, um, oh, it's from, hmm, I'm going to blank on his name. See, I, I need the books in front of me. That's all good. Which, which book are you talking about? Um, Parker Palmer. Oh. Um, he talks about, uh, if you really love someone and you really care about them, you'll tell them the thing that they need to hear, mm. even if they might be mad at you, uh, for saying it right. Or they, like you're willing to take on whatever the consequences or of their reaction might be mm-hmm. because you love them enough to make them better. Yep. Yeah. I think that this theme, uh, and, and I actually just wrote an article about this, um, this theme of this frankness theme, you're definitely right that it shows up in radical candor. The other one that it shows up within is, uh, five dysfunctions of a team and mm-hmm. the kind of, uh, bottom, the bottom level is you need to have kind of this vulnerability based trust and vulnerability is kind of the, another version of frankness. But lots of people think of frankness as like being frank with others about their bad stuff. Um, and vulnerability is kind of being vulnerable about with others about your own bad stuff. Um, and so kind of building up that vulnerability based trust and then the ability to then have conflict to then disagree and commit on things is kind of the crucial three underlying parts of five dysfunctions of a team. So I think that they're all kind of circling around the same subject of, yeah, yeah, you, you got to be frank with people. <laughs> and if you're not frank with people, then it's uh, then there's all the stuff that you're hiding and, and, and people then later learn out, learn about it. And it's, and it's all sad. <laughs> I, I complete. Those are some great books. Um, I think that were have been really helpful to me around better conversations. And and I think. You know, and now that I'm thinking about it, there has been a, a bucket that I kind of unintentionally chose of books this year that were about conversations, right? I can think of um, other books that um, I read, like um, Never Split the Difference or um, Crucial Conversations mm-hmm. or um, there, there have been a couple others that, that some of them just have – what I wanted was to ask better questions, mm. Really, that was the goal of reading those books. Like I, um, part of frankness, like I think you can be frank, but in a way that asks a a Socratic question. Mm -hmm. I love, I love the Socratic style. I think it, uh, I've been influenced by people who have taught me a lot through the Socratic style. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's just such a more inviting way to, to coach and to, to help others grow, in my opinion. Yep, yep. And that's all kind of part of this like implementation side here. You say, okay, your goal is to be frank with people. <laughs> How can you, being frank is scary, you know, conflicting with people mm-hmm. is scary. How do you do it in such a way that um, that is respectful to the other person and all those kinds of things? This episode is brought to you by Shapeshift.io, the world's leading trustless digital asset exchange. Quickly swap between dozens of cryptocurrencies, including Bitcoin, Ether, Dash, Bitcoin Cash, Augur, Golem, and many more. And this is not your typical crypto exchange. You don't need to create an account or share your personal information, and your funds are never stored on Shapeshift. 
This means that your hard-earned digital wealth is never up for grabs by hackers or other malicious actors. To get started, visit shapeshift.io, choose the tokens you'd like to swap, input your receiving address, and send your funds. It's that easy. I guess, so Julie, if, you know, for founders that are listening to this right now, how would you recommend, you know, for them, if they're like, okay, I want to have a more kind of frank, honest culture, um, what are some things that you'd recommend them do um, to kind of check in or to kind of implement within their company to make sure that they have that kind of uh, atmosphere? Oh, um, um, so I, I, I like starting small. And I don't think you have to boil the ocean from the very beginning because I think you're right. If you've not, if you're not used to that kind of um, that frankness, that it can be like, oh, I, I can't flip the switch and go all frank all the time. Um, you know, my relationships blow up, and I think there's some. I feel that risk. Um, there, there are two things that I think help, um, and that you you will be familiar because you've been through the program. Um, one is a red, yellow, green check-in. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, we try to do it daily, um, just uh, we, and we try to do ho- one for home and one for work. So, you know, red is I'm here, but I'm not here, or there's something going on in my life that is totally taking my attention. Um, green is I'm all good, I'm completely here. You know, green means go, I'm I'm good. Yellow is somewhere in the middle, right? And you can really choose any color you want in there if you want lime green or you want orange or whatever. Um, but we'll do a check in uh, around kind of around the horn at the very beginning of the day or, or with the people you work most closely with. And you do one for home and one for work, uh, so that you know if if you know if my business partner if uh, his two year old infant kept him up all night and he got three hours of sleep, I know when he checks in, you know, orange because he didn't sleep at all. Like it's not about me and I have more context. Mm-hmm. It builds some trust. It's, 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 you know, to use Brene Brown's uh, language, it's a, it's a marble in the trust jar, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, and, and you add that context to that person each time. So that, that's like little, a little thing to do. And, and the great thing about a check-in is that you can reveal as much or as little, uh, as you'd like. Mm-hmm. And, and so whatever you feel like the safety bar is. And I feel like as you gain trust over time with your team, you can share more. Yep. Uh, one um, quick then, other note oh, on sure, that okay. before we go to the second thing is that, yeah, I think that that's another crucial thing that a lot of these frameworks talk about is just like, if you're the, if you're the leader, if you're the founder here for you to be someone who, um, actively kind of pushes that vulnerability, uh, scale, that trust scale, that lean in scale where you're like, Hey, it might be awkward to tell these people that I actually just broke up with, you know, my boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever last night, but like to kind of to lean into those kinds of things or to say, Hey, I'm feeling kind of weak because, you know, we, um, we're trying to raise this round of funding and it's really hard. Those are things that you kind of don't want to say naturally because you are told like you need to be a, you know, a strong leader or whatever. It's like, in fact, the opposite is true. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Like the, the, yeah, couldn't, couldn't agree more that like the secure leader is one that's willing to lead from a lead, uh, when it comes to vulnerability, they're willing to lead. They're yep. willing to be the first one. Yep, yep. Cool. Okay, so uh, what's your second one that founders can do? Um, the other one that I also think you'll, you'll be obviously familiar, and anybody who's um, been around much um, lean, uh, is a retro, right? We, we retro all the time. Um, I retroed today. Uh, and it's another way to just, you know, clear the air and uh, get out all the best ideas and to build trust as a team that – um, you know, you're, you're, you're doing the right things and people, uh, you're seen, heard and understood, right? Like, like 
all of the plan, do, check, adjust things that you get out of um, doing a retro where you learn from your mistakes and all those things, that's true. I, I appreciate that. That's a very logical way to um, appreciate what a retro can do for your company. But there is a trust building factor here that's a more emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, the I don't hear the lean culture talking about how that um, that process builds trust, which then creates greater collaborative collaborative teams, like um, better collaboration. But I think it's true. Yep. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, because in the retro, a classic way to see it is like, hey, we did this A-B test and, you know, this quantitative A-B test and this one performed 20% better than this one. So we're going to put the red button on instead of the green button. But there's all these other parts of the retro, which are just like, hey, we as a company are allowed to look at our mistakes. We as a company are allowed to kind of iterate over time. Um, I think that is kind of a crucial part of it as well that, as you say, is not as much emphasized, but, but is definitely part of that process. Um, yeah, or, or like uh-huh. if I'm the quiet person on the team, I'll, I know I will have a place where I'm heard. Mm, mm, yep. Right? Ah, trust marble in the trust jar. Yep. Right? And those add up over time. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, I like both of those. Okay. So to kind of to get into, we're going to concentrate on this one final topic as we get into wrap-up mode here. And um, this topic is around, you know, we've been talking a lot about these kind of candor and and frankness within the context of a company um, and, and a business and within co-founders and within your whole team. Um, but, you know, Julie and I were also talking about what this looks like, um, not just professionally, but also kind of personally and with like relationships more generally. So Julie, do you want to talk about what's on your mind from like the just more general relationship wise and like cross applying between professional and personal? Yeah, I think it relates back to a little bit about what we were saying uh, about frankness. And, uh, you know, when you're starting a company, especially you and your co-founders are in a relationship with with each other, right? You're in this long term commitment to each other and to a a greater purpose, right, to to make this thing happen. And um, I I found and this is I got kind of clued in from um, one of my coworkers again on the comparability of a lot of the research around um, dating and and marriage relationships, romantic mm-hmm. relationships, and how some of the learnings from the the science about how we relate to each other can be applicable to co-founders, um, because they are such an um, an important and um, and meaningful and and sometimes intense relationship um, in your life, right? This um, I think a lot about. Um, you know, I think a lot of founders would feel like the the product or the company that they're bringing into the world is a little bit like their kid. This thing that they're making, um, it's uh, it's their work, and it, it feels when you're a founder to me, it feels different than it when you're working for someone else. It, you're you're making something in the world that's of you, by you, through you, and you're do, if you're doing that with another person, that's a really special relationship. So, um, you know, I've I've seen enough co-founder relationships that um, didn't work out in the end. And they're always so hard um, that I, I want as many tools as I could possibly have to um, help, help those relationships when I see them. Cause I have the opportunity to work with founders when they're at the very beginning of, of their companies. And, and sometimes you can help um, them build better relationships for the future. Sometimes you can't. But you can certainly, I, I I will continue to try as long as I'm doing this work. Nice, yeah, and and like you say, there's 
it's it's nice to be able to take things from the kind of classic personal world and say, hey, well, actually, there's this book on marriage, and it, you know, recommends that you do this, and like, it's going to be super effective within a co-founder relationship, likely. Um, and, and I know for me personally, within uh, my startup that went through TechStars Boulder, um, some things that were really helpful for us were, you know, nonviolent communication and the five love languages, and those were mm-hmm. things that are traditionally seen in kind of the relationship perspective, but it's like, no, no, those are super helpful for us. Um, And then the nice thing too, is that when you enter a, you know, a romantic relationship or whatever, you've done all this kind of reading for your professional work. Yeah. And you're like, oh my God, this stuff is great over here too. Yeah. Like, um, reflect, you know, right. Right. Um, David Cohn is one of the founders of Techstars and he teaches a, a thing about fundraising, but he's really teaching is reflective listening. Right. And it's like therapists teach, teach people how to do this, but here, here you are learning how to do it with investors. Right. Yep. Um, and then it, it is very applicable. I can think of, you know, half a dozen books that are, are, are like that. Right. Um, and you mentioned two great ones, um, that are like, that's the benefit, right. By, uh, making yourself better in, in this sense for your team and for your company, you're, you're doing work on yourself. Um, and you're, you know, when you walk out the door to your work and you go home or to the rest of your life, you know, you're still that person who's done that work, uh, to your point. Um, and I, I think when, when we talk about, so one of the things that we're most passionate about, and I think that has changed for us in the last, um, year and it's taken us really six months to get the words around, mm-hmm. uh, the right words to describe is building companies from the inside out. Mm-hmm. And this is what we mean, right? Like if you're going to do the work on yourself, it's going to have an impact on who you are as found your work and that your work will have an impact on your founding team. And that founding team will have a, an impact on your company, which will have an impact then hopefully on your community. Yep. Right. But it all goes back to the beginning, which is, which is doing the work on yourself. And I think as an investor that, that absolutely gets me up in the morning. I, mm-hmm. I want to, I'm excited to work on at the business level with companies and help them build their businesses, but I'm just as excited to work with founders, um, on who they are for this reason. Boom. Well, with that, thank you so much for being on the show, Julie. It's uh, I feel like it's, we could have talked, you know, all day about lean stuff, but I think that it gets more weight uh, than, than stuff like we talked about on the people, emotional communication, human side. And so, yeah, building companies from the inside out seems like the way to do things. By the way, if you're a company, uh, I know that Techstars Boulder, they are actually, their deadline is over. But um, if you want to get these learnings from Julie going forward in the future, both these learnings and the learnings that she's had from mentoring hundreds of companies uh, do this stuff, um, I totally recommend it. <laughs> the program. Um, so- and, yeah. Oh, Reese, I, got, I got have to ask since I since I have you, like what what's been a, an amazing book that you've read recently? Like you've read you read one a week. What's the last one that really stands out to you? Well, yeah, I mean, so for me, it's actually a book that you recommended called uh, you and Zach Nice recommended called Spiral Dynamics. Uh, and Spiral Dynamics is a book about uh, is a it's a book similar to this other book called Reinventing Organizations. And Spiral Dynamics was written in like 1995, I think, or 1997, and it's uh, essentially conceptualizing of humanity over time and how we think about ourselves and what kind of our value sets are at a given point in time and what kind of how we make decisions and things like that. And so by essentially looking at humanity over the course of time, we can see um, kind of how we're changing in a macro sense um, and 
the key thing for me, especially as I work uh, more in the blockchain realm, is this concept of uh, it's this idea called teal, not like Peter Teal, but the color teal, where if you think about a company in the past, we've thought of a, of a company as like more of a machine or more of like a family kind of culture driven. But now you can kind of think of companies as kind of uh, bottom up peer to peer like or organisms. Um, so that that kind of thinking is has really kind of driven me with where I'm at these days is, hey, let us, you know, where we're at with our like own human evolution is getting to the point where we think of ourselves as an organism. And, uh, and, and that's a very powerful frame of mind and has uh, these various good properties, emergent properties to it that we can do going forward. <laughs> very cool. I love, uh, it's a great book. Yeah, it's a funny book. It's uh, uh, it's and it uses terms like spiral wizard. <laughs> so <laughs> that is my goal to be a spiral wizard. Okay. There you go. <laughs> um, well, Julie, thanks so much again for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Reese. Um, and if anybody would like to support the show, you can go to and or listen to other episodes. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash Reese Lindmark. That's slash R H Y S L I N D M A R K. Thanks so much, everybody, and goodbye.